Well, that is what we're beginning today. You know, because everybody wonders, right? What will happen when I die? You know, is, is heaven real? And like that popular song, does heaven have a plan for me? And, you know, it's a huge topic, actually, in our culture. All you have to do is scan the books or the movies or the cable channels, and you see all kinds of interest in the spiritual world right now, and uh, even near-death experiences in heaven. And, and yet, while we're curious, to some degree, we're also in denial. Uh, people don't really want to think about death, even though there's a really high chance it's going to happen to you, <laughs> right? <laughs> there are three guys who are sitting around playing poker one night, and uh, one of them said, hey, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And the first guy said, I want people to say I was a brilliant doctor who saved many lives. And the second guy said, I want people to say that I was a devoted family man to my, to my kids, to my wife. And the third guy said, really? I want people to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> and believe it or not, that's what's happening more and more. That people are saying, look, he's moving. In fact, the Gallup poll and, and other studies estimate that 13 million Americans or one out of 25 people have had what is called a near-death experience or NDE, where there was uh, no heartbeat, no brain waves uh, in some cases, and yet modern medicine brought them back. Now, there's nothing really that new about this. Jesus uh, brought back Lazarus, brought back Jairus' daughter. But what these people say they experienced on the other side is really hard for some to believe. But if you're willing to, to keep an open mind to what modern medicine is, is actually showing us, it's showing us that life does not end. That this life is actually just the beginning of the real story, of the real life that's more exhilarating than anything you've ever imagined. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to look at um, what God has been telling us all along and, and how what these people say actually matches what he's been telling us. And every week I'm gonna interview uh, very credible people who died and were resuscitated and had something to say about it. A doctor, a college professor, commercial airline pilot, pastor, others right here in, in our church potentially. And we're gonna hear you know, from them and from the scriptures what we have to look forward to. You know, for me, 35 uh, years ago, my father was dying of cancer. And um, I saw a book on, on the side, on his uh, bedside table called Life After Life. It was the first book that coined the term near-death experience uh, about these stories. And at that time, I didn't really believe, I, I didn't know what I believed. I didn't really believe in God or Jesus or the afterlife or anything. I just only thing I believed in was the next party. <laughs> and uh, I picked the book up, though, and I read it cover to cover that night, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, this God stuff may be true. And it was the next year in a small group, kind of what we call life groups, in a home uh, where I was able to ask my questions and doubt and wrestle with what the scripture said, and, and I came to faith. And, and uh, since then, you know, I... Um, I went to school at the University of Texas, studied engineering, and while I was, I, I looked into what are reasons we have to believe this is true, and I found incredible historical evidence. And for those of you who aren't convinced yet, I want to encourage you to go on our website, gatewaychurch.com, and just click new here, and there's a, a button called Exploring Faith, and you can listen to, to some of that evidence. 
But uh, I left my career in engineering years later to start Gateway to be a place where people could come as you are, even with doubts, even with questions and struggles like I had. Now, since then, I've also read close to a thousand accounts of people who claim that they, they died, were resuscitated, and had something to say about it. And what I've come to believe is that it's actually what the scripture's already said. And that's why I wrote the book, Imagine Heaven. You know, if you're still skeptical, I hope you'll see in it that there is a lot of reason to believe that this is real and that you really need to take the time to check it out. And if you're already a Christian, I hope you see how real the life to come is and that it actually is what we need to be planning for and saving for and sacrificing for and living for. Because it changes the way you live this life. It changes the way you love. It changes the way you treat people. So today I'm going to do kind of an overview of the book and of what we're going to be talking about in depth in the, next, in the weeks to come. Um, and I want to just say from the very beginning, I'm skeptical of any one story of people dying and coming back. And I think you should be too. Um, because some people, you know, as you're going to hear throughout the weeks, they're, they're inter interpreting an experience that's kind of like trying to describe to, to, to a two-dimensional world what three dimensions are like. And so everyone has to interpret. But when you put all these pictures together, and I've included about 120 of their stories in Imagine Heaven, you start to see that it really does coincide with what God has told us all along. And when you begin to imagine it, then it changes the way you view this life too for the better. So today, um, we're going to start to imagine it. So I want you to think about that. I want you to imagine that day that maybe you feared the most. That day when you draw your last breath. You know, what's interesting is people report to their surprise, um, there wasn't fear. And they found themselves outside their body, looking down on their lifeless body, out of their body, but with a new body. And, and fully themselves, to their surprise, many of them said they couldn't even tell they were dead because they felt more alive than they had ever been in their lives. And people describe what they see uh, and said, it, not scary, but invigorating. And what they described to skeptical cardiologists and oncologists and the doctors who revived them convinced many skeptical doctors the afterlife really does exist. Listen to how cardiologist uh, Dr. Michael Sabom, uh, Sabom says what changed his mind. He said, before talking to Pete and scores like him, Sabom says, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience. Pete told me he had left his body during this first cardiac arrest and had watched the resuscitation. When I asked him to tell me what exactly he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy, I could have later used the tape to teach physicians. Sabum says, these people like Pete Morton saw details of their resuscitation they could not otherwise have seen. One patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open heart surgery. In many cases, I was able to, to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and with the hospital staff. I talked to Dr. Sabum, and, and he said when he started to study these NDEs, he did to refute them. He said, I wanted to see if they would pass scientific muster. They did. And after five years of research, he published his findings in a book called Recollections of Death. 
Interestingly, he also published in the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA. Um, and a radiation oncologist, Dr. Jeff Long, read uh, his findings in JAMA and said he found it hard to believe. But then one night he was at dinner with friends and he said Sheila mentioned a food allergy where one time she coded, her, her heart stopped beating. And because he had heard this, Dr. Long decided to probe. He said, did anything happen to you when you coded? He said, hesitantly, Sheila said, oh, yes. I found myself at ceiling level, she said. I could see the EKG machine I was hooked to. The EKG was flatlined. The doctors and nurses were frantically trying to bring me back to life. The scene below was a near panic situation. But in contrast to the chaos below, I found a profound sense of peace. I was completely free of any pain. My consciousness drifted out of the operating room and moved to a nursing station. I immediately recognized that this was the nursing station on the floor where I'd been prior to my surgery. From my vantage point near the ceiling, I saw the nurses bustling about performing their daily duties. After I watched the nurses a while, a tunnel opened up. I was drawn into the tunnel. and I passed through the tunnel and I became aware of a bright light at the end of it. I felt peaceful. And after I passed through the tunnel, I found myself in this area of beautiful, mystical light. In front of me were several of my beloved relatives who had previously died. It was this joyous reunion. We embraced. I found myself with a mystical being of overwhelming love and compassion. Do you want to go back, he asked. I responded, I don't know, which is just like my old indecisive self at the time. After further discussion, I knew the choice to return to my physical body was mine. It was the most difficult decision. I was in a realm of overwhelming love. And in this realm, I knew I was truly home. Finally, I did return to my body. I woke up in the ICU over a day later with tubes and wires all over me. I could not talk about my profound experience. Well, since then, Dr. Long has scientifically studied thousands of, of accounts from around the world, which which I explore many of them in Imagine Heaven and what they mean. But he concluded this. By studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEers, I found evidence that led to this astonishing conclusion. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence that it's reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. And here's what convinced many skeptical doctors more that I talk about in the book is that people report staying in the vicinity and seeing their lifeless body and what's going on and things that could be checked out afterwards. Like in The Lancet, another prestigious medical journal, they published this account of a patient who had a cardiac arrest, was not breathing, and was put into a coma. So at the time that a tube was being placed in the airway to ventilate the patient, it was noted he had upper dentures. The dentures were removed and placed in a crash cart drawer while the patient was deeply comatose. Over a week later, the patient reported having had an out-of-body experience when he, was, when he died and accurately described the room he was resuscitated in and the people present. Remarkably, he declared that his lost dentures could be found in the crash cart drawer. What convinced so many skeptical doctors were these verifiable details that these people who were clinically dead said they saw. And I point out studies done that, that show uh, how accurate their observations were. Because see, when you die, you leave this body behind, but you still have a body, 
a spiritual body. Now, that shouldn't totally shock us. First of all, the Bible's told us that for years. But secondly, you know, science even tells us that every skin in you, on your, every cell in your skin dies and gets replaced about every two weeks. Did you know that? Your cells are continually dying and being replaced. You are not the same body you were seven years ago. So then, yeah. <laughs> yes, but it's going to go the other way, which is even better. But, but think about that. So if, if, if your body, your cells are continually changing, then who are you? Well, the Bible's told us all along, you're more than a physical body. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was a Jewish Pharisee who was killing Christians for claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah, until on the Damascus Road, he's headed to arrest Christians, and he encounters a man of light, a brilliant light. By the way, just like in the ears account, uh, or, or see, and we'll look more in that in the weeks to come, he realizes it's Jesus, and Jesus was who he claimed, but by the way, seeing is not believing. Paul still had to decide, even after seeing Jesus in this brilliant light, decide whether he would follow him. And that's the same for, for indie ears too. It doesn't take away their choice. But Paul goes on to start churches all across the Roman Empire. And in Acts chapter 14, um, it, it, it appears that Paul may have had a near-death experience when he got stoned in Lystra, in the city of Lystra. Stoned to death. I always have to clarify that here in Austin. So Paul, some of you are just getting it. Come on, come on, stay with me. Acts chapter 14 says this. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. Now listen to what Paul later says, I think, about that. 2 Corinthians 12. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. And that's what people say. It's like, I felt so alive and so me. You still feel like you have a body. But I do know I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. And Paul later explains that when we die, uh, we're still ourselves in bodies. It's like an upgrade. It's like Oh, it gets better, so don't worry. <laughs> and, 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 and Paul talks about this. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, 1 Corinthians 15, but they are raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about what that's like next week, but what you need to know is you'll be yourself. In fact, you've never been yourself as much as you will be. And what people say is they were more alive than ever. People consistently say this. It's more real than what we experience now. Now, you know, think about the impression you've had of heaven. And what I find the impression most people have of heaven, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's like this kind of ethereal, less than tangible you know, misty, cloudy, boring existence, right? It's like the old Far Side cartoon. You ever see this where the two guys sitting on a cloud and they're kind of, you know, swinging their feet on the edge of the cloud and one guy's whistling, the other guy said, man, I wish I'd thought to bring a magazine. Because <laughs> we think it's boring. 
Or people think it's gonna be like an endless church service. Look, that sounds bad to me and I'm a pastor, all right? Because here's the deal. There is nothing, have you figured this out yet? There is nothing in this life that permanently satisfies you. I don't care how good it gets. Pretty soon it's like, what now, right? Do you know why that is? Because we weren't created for this life. This is just the birth canal. This is just the beginning of, of the real existence that we were created to live. That's what it says even in Hebrews 8, 5. They serve in a system of worship that's only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. You know, Don Piper was pronounced dead for 90 minutes by EMS uh, when an 18-wheeler ran over the top of his car. He, didn't, he said he didn't pass through a tunnel. He just, boom, was there in, in heaven or the entrance of heaven. And he said this. He said, as I looked around, I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I had ever seen. With all the heightened awareness of my senses, I felt I had never seen, heard, or felt anything so real before. And Don will be here next week to talk more about that. But just imagine for a second that day that you feared most. Suddenly you come more alive than you've ever been. Not just five senses, but all kinds of new senses and you're feeling things and experiencing things is so thrilling. You can't wait to go and explore the adventure of this wonderful place that you've now discovered. You know, enhanced vision. You can see up close. You can see miles away. New vibrant colors you've never imagined before. And a light unlike anything you've ever imagined. And you know what's fascinating? Even blind people who die and are resuscitated, they see the same things. In fact, Vicky, who was, uh, was born uh, blind from birth, uh, flatlined in a very bad car accident. And she said that she could see and had a hard time adjusting to visual perception. But she realized she was looking down at the doctors working on her body. She said, I finally recognized my wedding ring and my hair. Her hair was down all the way to her back, and she had a wedding ring with orange blossoms on it, and so she recognized them. And she said, and I thought, is this my body down there? Am I dead or what? And they were trying to frantically work on this thing that I discovered was my body. But I felt very detached from it, and I thought, I'm out of here. I can't get these people to listen to me. She said, as soon as I thought that, I went up through the ceiling as if it were nothing. And it was wonderful to be out there and free and not worry about bumping into anything. And I knew where I was going. And I heard the sound of wind chimes. It was the most incredible sound I can describe. Now, Vicki noticed that she was fully herself. She had a distinct form, you know, arms, legs, all, all that. But, but she said something else as well. She said, as she went up through this dark enclosure, she said, like a tube, she heard sublimely beautiful music that transitioned into praise to God. She reaches this opening and finds herself on grass with flowers and trees and a vast number of people surrounding her. She said, in this place of tremendous light. And listen to how Vicki describes the light. The light was something you could feel as well as see. Everybody, everybody there was made of light, and I was made of light, and what the light conveyed was love. It was like love was everywhere, 
It was like love came from the grass. Love came from the birds. Love came from the trees. It was incredible, really beautiful. And I was overwhelmed by that experience because I couldn't really imagine what light was like. It's still a very emotional thing when I talk about this. Now, here's what's amazing, because I, I, uh, I talk about other blind people who see the same things that Vicky's describing, and they talk about light coming out of everything. Now, where would blind people ever hear that light comes out of stuff? Light doesn't come out of stuff on planet Earth. It gets shined on, right? But you don't, may not realize it, but the Bible says that's what heaven's going to be like. But most people don't know that. Did you know that? So how do these blind people get that idea? And yet, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I used to just think that was a metaphor. Maybe not so much. You know, it says in Revelation 21, 23, John has this experience of heaven, and he writes about the city of God. He said, the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb, Jesus, is its light. The nations will walk in its light. Not by its light, in its light. Fascinating. In the Old Testament, an angel tells the prophet Daniel, in Daniel 12, the dead will rise up, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting disgrace. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. And Paul talks about a similar kind of thing. But Vicky and others describe this light coming out of everything, this life and love, vibrant colors, indescribable music, and time and travel of another dimension, like we've never, never thought about. In fact, Harvard neurosurgeon Eben Alexander thought that when your brain dies, your consciousness just goes out. And then he had his brain crash and had an experience like this. And here's what he says. In the worlds above this one, time simply doesn't behave as it does here. A moment can seem like a lifetime, and one or several lifetimes can seem like a moment. I don't think he realized he was quoting the Bible. <laughs> With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, said Peter, John, uh, Jesus' disciple. But here's the thing, if, if, if that seems, you know, the, thinking about being a person of light, you know, oh, that seems weird or scary, don't worry. The thing people say more than ever is, I was home. I was where I belong. In fact, the biggest problem is people don't want to come back. And you're not going to be alone because heaven was made for relationship. You know, those who get a glimpse of heaven agree on one thing more than anything. Love is the point of it all. And you know, Jesus said, you can sum up all the commands of the Bible by love God first and then let him teach you and me how to love one another as he loves us. That's it. So if that's the point of earth, why would we think that the God who wants us to love one another would rip loving relationship apart in heaven? Nothing could be farther from the truth. Marv Besteman, who was a bank president, um, died uh, on, on, after surgery in, a ho in the hospital in Michigan. And he recalls when he got there in, in uh, the, the gates of heaven or whatever you call it. I don't know exactly. I think it's a peek into heaven. But I, I don't know if it's the whole thing. In fact, we'll talk more about this. But many people said there was a barrier or a threshold or a boundary they couldn't go beyond. I think that's very important. They aren't dead yet. Not fully. But anyway, he says... Um, 
There was a welcoming party consisting of close relatives and people who had spiritually influenced him or he them. So both of my friends were prayer warriors. We'd spent many hours praying together. I'm not sure if this is why God chose those two guys for me to see, but they were significant to me in my spiritual life. Everyone I saw had been influential in shaping my life in some way. And a woman who died giving birth said, I recognized my grandmother and a girl I had known when I was in school and many other relatives and friends. It was a very happy occasion and I felt they had come to protect or to guide me. It was almost as if I were coming home and they were there to greet or welcome me. And that's what many say. Now, a word of warning um, that I feel like I need to say. Don't take a few people's experiences and shape your whole view of the afterlife. Because God has revealed in the scriptures much more, a broader, bigger picture uh, that, that we need to see and we need to contextualize these stories in, in light of. Because many people do talk about how their welcoming party was there to protect them. And as we'll see, just because you get a peek into the afterlife and it seems good at first, that's not always the end of the story. They're not getting a whole picture, they're just seeing a glimpse of a small world. And there's more to it, and it might not all be good. It's kind of like, you know, people are used to seeing the, the front side of Mount Rushmore and seeing this picture, but there's another side to it that people don't often see, <laughs> and it's not all good. Jesus said this, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. What a home it's going to be. God created us for relationship and he wants us to be together with one another. But first and foremost, he created us for relationship with himself. And what people also talk about is seeing this being of light and having a life review. And what's amazing is people around the globe, young and old, consistently describe this being of light that they know to be God. Those who know Jesus know he's Jesus. Those who don't, don't necessarily, but they're describing the same being. Dr. George Ritchie, a psychiatrist at the University of Virginia, died of pneumonia and even has his death certificate to prove it that he uses whenever he talks on this. He didn't realize he was dead as he was looking at his lifeless body when a light came into the room. He said it was impossibly bright. It was like a million welder's lamps. I thought, I'm glad I don't have physical eyes at this moment because he'd realize he's dead. This light would destroy my retina in a tenth of a second. No, I corrected myself, not the light, he. He would be too bright to look at. For now I saw that it was not a light, but a man who had entered the room. Or rather, a man made out of light. He realized it was Jesus, who he learned about in Sunday school, but kind of thought of as gentle and meek and a weakling. And he said, but this person was power itself fused together with unconditional love that overwhelmed me. An astounding love. A love beyond my wildest imagining. A love that knew every unlovable thing about me. The quarrels with my stepmother, my explosive temper, the sex thoughts I could never control, every mean, selfish thought and action since the day I was born, and accepted and loved me just the same. When I say he knew everything about me, that was simply an observable fact. For into that room, along with his radiant presence, simultaneously also entered every single episode of my entire life. 
Everything that had ever happened to me was simply there in full view, all seemingly taking place at that moment. How this was possible, I did not know. Transfixed, I stared at myself at the blackboard in third grade, receiving my eagle badge, wheeling Papa Dabney onto the veranda. Hundreds, thousands of scenes, all illuminated in that searing light in an existence where time seemed to have ceased. What's amazing is how consistent people talk about this life review in the presence of this man of light who is unconditional love, who knows everything, every thought, every motive, every deed, and yet you feel loved like never before. But why wouldn't we expect this? The, the Apostle John says God is love. We've never experienced love that didn't come from him in the first place. Jesus claimed that he came to demonstrate the love of God to all humanity. That he loves every person on the planet so much that he would enter our suffering and pay the greatest price we can think of paying. His life. To pay for our wrongs so that everyone who simply is willing to trust in him can be with him forever. That's how much he loves us. Jesus also said, Matthew 10, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. We'll talk more about this life review, but I want you to notice what he says. Each will receive their praise from God. God wants to praise you. He wants to reward you. That's what he wants this life review to be about, a great celebration of, of the ways that you were lovingly faithful to him as you loved your fellow man. And you know, he has you here for a reason, for a purpose. And you know, if you've ever, if you've ever had suicidal thoughts or even hearing this, you think those kinds of thoughts, don't think about it because God has you here for a purpose. And you might not understand it, but you are here and you're making an impact. And he wants to lead and guide you in that. And it's not too late for any of us. That's what you'll see that's so amazing. This God is the God of compassion and mercy and grace. He's the God of the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth chance. And there is no one, I mean no one, who loves you more. But don't just take my word from it for it. I want you to hear from someone who claims to have been there. So help me welcome Dr. Mary Neal. Thank you. <laughs> and, and you said you, you, from the point your kayak got stuck, it was 30 minutes yes. before. So you were gone that much time. And I know you said it was realer than real, but when you came back, you still were trying to figure out what was that, what kind of, talk about some of the, the, the questions you asked and went through. I came back knowing that my experience had been real, but desperately trying to convince myself otherwise. I had great motivation to discount my experience as being a dream or hallucination or something along those lines, because if I were to accept that my experience was real and true, then I also had to accept that everything I'd been told was real and true, including 
things I didn't want to accept, including the coming death of my oldest son, including some health issues with my husband and this mandate to share my experience with other people, which is definitely not something I would have signed up for. <laughs> Uh, but I, I spent many, many months trying to discount my experience, trying to chalk it up to being a dream, which is something, first of all, I'm not that creative. Second of all, dreams are very different. They're usually uh, very chaotic, very poorly remembered. They involve people who are still alive, whereas near-death experiences are very logical. They're very sequential. Uh, they involve people who are already dead. They never involve people who are still alive. And the memory is very, very different. People who have had near-death experiences remember the experience as precisely and accurately 50 years later as when it was actually happening. So I was able to very quickly discount that. I considered whether it could be a hallucination from neurotransmitter release, but the chemicals that are released in a dying brain are very toxic to the brain. And the cells that are most sensitive to death are actually the ones that create memories. And so I spent many months and in the end came to the realization that no, my experience was outside the realm of science, outside the realm of medicine and... But not uncommon. Very common. It's surprising that within a room this size, there are many, many people who have either had a near-death experience or had a friend or relative, Yeah. but they don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's very personal, right? Hard, hard to talk about. Probably. It's very difficult. Yeah. So take us back to that day. I mean, here you are pinned under a waterfall. You realize you can't get loose. I mean, that must have been terrifying. One would think so, but I felt great. <laughs> I had always feared a drowning death, but actually I felt no fear. I felt no panic. I felt no sense of air hunger. I felt wonderful. And the moment that I very consciously made a choice to surrender the outcome, I truly asked that God's will be done, regardless of whether that meant I was to live or die. The very moment that I asked that, I was overcome with a very physical sensation of being held and comforted and reassured by Christ that everything was fine. My husband would be fine, my young children would be fine regardless. And I was this receptacle into which Christ was pouring his love and his very being. And that was the first many profound aspects of this experience because I was no saint. <laughs> I tried to be a good person, but I did not deserve to be held or loved by Christ. Just like, you know, none of us ever no, deserve yeah. anything. And while I was being held, my life, as you said earlier, was just laid bare for all of the, the high points and low points. And so it was like a life review? We started a life review, and it was Is it not like you re-experience your life, or what? I know, we're going to go into... We're, we're, it's, it's difficult. It's all simultaneously occurring, and it, everything is present at the same time, and not with any sense of judgment, which is what I would have assumed would have happened. But we then, at one point, went through my life and looked at all of the events that I would have otherwise said were terrible or bad or horrible or sad or tragic. And I had the most remarkable experience of seeing that event not three or four, five times removed, but seeing how a given event impacted me, impacted my little world and the world as a whole, when seen from a vantage point of 25, 30, 35 times removed, 
And what I was shown again and again and again and again is that God's promise is true, that indeed beauty comes from all things, even when we can't see it. Mm. He works all things together for the good. Absolutely. So, so you experienced this life review. You were, you were underwater like 15 minutes or something. And then yes. when you came up and they found you, they started their stopwatch and it was another 15. Right. So what, what, where were you and what were you doing? I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I was still aware of the physicality of it all. I could feel the water. I could feel the plastic of the boat. My body was sucked over the deck of the boat by the current. And as my body was coming out of the boat, my spirit peeled away from my body. And eventually I then rose up and out of the river and I was greeted by a group of somethings. People, spirits, beings, all those words seem sort of hokey to me, but But they had these bodies, were, they were what, what they was like? did have physical form. They had head, arms, legs, they were wearing these um, robes that were very indistinct, somewhat translucent or pearlescent, <laughs> and were radiant absolutely more brilliant than the sun but not in a blinding sense and they were absolutely exploding with beauty and an absolutely pure unconditional love of god and it's a love that we don't experience we experience conditional love mm -hmm. but this was an absolute love and they were so overjoyed to greet me and welcome me and love me and guide me and there was a shift of time and dimension so that I could be with them. And I was trying very desperately to get down this exceptionally beautiful path to this great dome structure of sorts that I knew without any doubt was the point of no return. Was, so that was like the entrance to It heaven. was, I feel like I was in heaven, but I was definitely in the, the foyer. Mm -hmm. And this was <laughs> the point at which there was no return. And... I could simultaneously look back at the river and see the guys pull my body to shore and see them start CPR. And I was really surprised at that point because I recognized my body as mine, as representing my life, my husband, my children. And I had a great life. I have a great life. I had every reason in the world to return. But I looked at my body and I knew I was not coming back. I knew that I had absolutely no intention to return because I was absolutely overcome with this sensation or this experience of being home, of being where I really belong, where we all really belong. It was as though I'd been on this long and wonderful journey to earth, but now I was home. I was going to sleep in my own bed. I, it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kept going down this path as quickly as I could. And, and there was beauty the beauty uh, spoke to me. I absolutely believe that God presents to each one of us, just like on earth. God meets us where we are. And I believe that God presents to each one of us that experience, that scene that will speak to us and that we can understand, that will make us feel comfortable and loved and mm -hmm. welcomed. And for me, it was color and flowers and the aroma of flowers because that's what really moves my mm -hmm. soul. And they, were they like real? I mean, when you, it was, you know, people kind of still, we think it's kind of probably fuzzy. No, it was and, real. It was, but it was different because here on earth, we feel this table and it's real, but we can't understand the table. We can't 
hear the table. We can't, we can't feel experience. the love of the table. We can't experience the table. But there, the, the flowers, the aromas, the, the colors were multi-faceted. Uh, I could understand them. It's like you I, experience it in I a whole new way. in a Life. very different way. Yeah. And we then reached this threshold, and I was there for what felt like many, many hours. And while I was there, uh, I had many uh, profound parts of this experience, but one of which was this sense of understanding, of, of getting it, understanding the divine order of everything. And one of the things that was so important to me is coming to an understanding of how it can really be true that there is a God who is real and present and that there's a God who actually knows each and every one of us, all billions of us on the planet, mm -hmm. loves each and every one of us as though we're the only ones and has a plan for each and every one of our lives that's one of hope. And for me, that was life-changing. Yeah. And it should be life-changing. Yeah. And, and then I got kicked out. And then <laughs> <laughs> it was traumatic. What, what did they say? Uh, I was told that I, it wasn't my time. I still had more work to do on earth and that I had to go back to my I did what I think any reasonable person would do, and I said, I'm good. I was told I, everything was fine. I, I can stay. And uh, as I said earlier, I'm a doctor, not a lawyer, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and as part of that um, discussion of whether I could stay or not, I was then told about some of the work I still had to do, including this mandate to share my experiences with other people and the coming death of my son and some other things. And then I was taken back down this path and reunited with my body. And you know, I, I, I think it's important because um, so many people uh, would say, well, why, why wouldn't God give us all that experience, right? I mean, that would make it so much easier, right? Well, it would. And I've had many, many people say, gee, I really would love to have your experience. But what they're really saying is, I'd like the spiritual experience, but I don't really want to drown or break my legs or do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> the coming back. Uh, yeah. And I asked that question for a long time. Yeah, because, I mean, and in your book, you write absolutely. Uh, about see seeing Jesus and asking right. him, why doesn't everybody right. have this experience? And the fact is, there is great power in using the free will and free choice with which we're created. And even... Thomas, if you go back to the Bible, I mean, Thomas was like me. He wanted to stick his finger in the hole, and Christ said, <laughs> <laughs> you know, blessed are those who believe and have not seen. And I said for many years... And he years, said the same thing to you? He did. And I for many years, I said that, you know, I, I lost my faith, and I was very sad about that. What do you but mean? But it was replaced with a trust. Oh. Because it re was replaced with knowledge. But the fact is... Even though Christ said that, and even though it is true, I would say that actually everybody can see because I absolutely believe that although not everyone's going to have the dramatic experience I had, every single person can experience God's presence in their life and experience God's miracles mm -hmm. if they look for them, if they acknowledge them for what they are. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear more 
from, from Dr. Neil. So we're going to videotape her, and throughout the weeks, we're going to have little segments as well, and we'll post the whole thing somewhere. But let's thank Dr. Neil for taking thank the time you. to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you.